Today, we will continue our series on Connected, Connecting with God and Others. Thank you for joining us. So Proverbs 29, 18. I want to start with this verse. I'm going to build on it, and then we're going to continue uh, to emphasize, if you will, the importance of connecting with Christ and others. But Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Many of us uh, heard this verse way back, uh, being quoted out of the King James, where it says, where there's no vision, the people perish. But it says here, where there's no vision, New American Standard. People are unrestrained, which implies they don't have direction, they, they don't have a clue of where they're going in life, and they're living an empty uh, life with no purpose. But he goes on to say, but joyful is he who keeps and obeys God's law. So here's where we would land. We, we would say joyful and blessed and content is the person who knows, keeps, and obeys God's word. We, we would say that when we study scripture and ponder scripture, that biblical truth illuminates our hearts and our eyes, and it gives us the proper vision for being able to live life the way God wants it lived. So, so God's word does give us restraint. It gives us disciplines. It gives us uh, boundaries. It gives us the foundation that we need to be able to navigate through the obstacles and chaos of life. And we need God's wisdom today as much as we've ever needed it. There is as many obstacles, as much confusion, as much chaos in our world. And how are we going to navigate through it? And so for the believer, we believe that obstacles are, are an opportunity to grow. We believe that obstacles really are the testing fire that God allows uh, into our space and lives that really reveal where our character is so that he can come in and bring about a deeper maturation and growth in us. It's very important. So here would be a working defini uh, definition of vision. I, I would encourage you to write it down. So what is it? Vision in its purest sense from a biblical standpoint is discovering God's perspective, God's purpose, God's plan as it relates to life. That would be vision. Vision is having foresight with some insight. That, that would be vision. Uh, vision is beginning with the end in mind. Like where you're going determines what you pack. Destination determines preparation. Right? So, so if we're going to uh, Daytona Beach, Florida, July 4th, we're, we're not going to pack our winter coat and we're not going to pack boots and, and gloves because the destination is determining my preparation. But if we were going probably to Anchorage, Alaska, uh, January 1st, uh, we would pack way different. We would pack what I said, the heavy coat. But we're, we're going to the beach, let's say. We're packing shorts and T-shirts and uh, flip-flops, etc. Because of where we're going, spiritually speaking, should determine how we pack our lives every day. What we're carrying with us, uh, the relationships, uh, the perspective, the, the attitude, uh, how we... How we conduct ourselves and steward our bodies and time and, and resources. Where we're going should determine 
of what we do every day with our time, with our lives. And to say it another way, vision is really the bridge between the present now and the future. That's, that's having vision. Now, vision is different than ambition. Ambition is what you want to do in life. And I know a lot of ambitious people. But vision is what God created you to become. See, being always trumps doing. And we must have vision, if you will, to live out proper ambition. Uh, uh, a lot of people are ambitious. They, they're, they're fired up about what they're doing, but they don't even know why they're here and, and where they're going. So I would say this to you. Who you are becoming should drive anything that you do. We need God-style vision. God is all about developing us and molding us and shaping us so that we're conformed into the likeness of Christ if we're believers. So you've got to ask the question, who are you and who are you living for? Because you're not here by accident. You're here by design. You've been born into this world created by God to accomplish a unique vision. I believe that. And I personally believe if I have vision of understanding who God wants me to become, if I can see it, then I can do it. But if I don't see it, I'll never be able to do it. I will, I will drift aimlessly, just wandering and drifting in this world. So, so here's where I would go. So vision is the lens that we look through that determines three things. I would write this down. Vision is the lens that we look through that determines how we interpret life, how we view other people, and it determines our concept of God. So, so whatever the lens that you're looking through right now is gonna, is gonna drive those three things. How you interpret life, how you view other people, and our concept of God. And A.W. Tozer would say our concept of God is the most crucial thought we'll ever have. But what is the lens that we're looking through? So the day after my, my dad passed away, I'll never forget, I woke up that next morning and there were all these glasses laying around. And I've got my backpack and I've got my 2.0 cheaters in my backpack that I throw on. But I looked around and I was like, well, there's all these glasses here. Uh, Dad's probably got something that was close to what I need. And I'll never forget, I, I put on that first pair and I was like, oh my God, those must have been his prescription glasses. Then I go over and pick up another pair. And I'm like, mom, what are these? And she goes, they're 3.0s. And, and, and reality is, if you put on the wrong lens, it will distort your vision. As Farner said, it will create double vision. Right? So how you see life and what you're looking through is crucial. So vision, Craig, as we work through this, is not only what we see, but it's how we see it. I've got to have vision. What do you see? And then how do you see it? Paul prayed for the believers in Ephesus. He goes, Lord, I pray that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. I pray that the eyes of their heart would be illuminated so that they can see who you are. And I think that would be such a huge prayer for you to pray over your wife and for you to pray over your kids and for you to pray over your family. 
It's like, Lord, I, I pray in Jesus' name that Tara's eyes are so enlightened and illuminated with the truth of God. I pray that over Michelle. You, you, you start to pray that. I, I want to see them see you for who you are. I want to see them get it. So, so we've got to make sure, and I'm going to unpackage it more, that we have proper vision. We need to be looking through the lens of Jesus. We need the word of God to shape the lens in which we view life from. And there's so many perverted things out there that people uh, use, if you will, as the lens of how they see life. And, 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 and I think that's why there's so much disruption and discouragement today. Now, I, I've said to you, and I want to repeat it over the last few weeks, that the mission of the cross Loganville is all about connecting your story to Christ and others. I mean, that's our mission, right? Your story matters. And, and that's what we're about. We're not an entertainment culture here at the cross. We're, we're an equipping culture. We want to see you equipped. So this is not a place to just come and, and sit and veg and chill this, this, this is a place to come and grow so that you can go out into the world and, and be the people that God wants you to be. We believe that every member of the body of Christ should be committed and contributing. We believe that every person that comes to faith should have skin in the game, should be participating, not spectators, but participators. We, we, we actually believe that here. We don't believe that you should just come in and veg out and chill out, check the box, as my buddy Tim said uh, yesterday, that he had done for many years of his life and said, well, we went to church. No, we are the church. We're to be in the world. Paul would say this in Ephesians 4, speaking of how the Holy Spirit had been poured out and how Christ, through the person of the Holy Spirit, was giving gifts to different people, but the gifts would differ. He said, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. He gave some to be apostles. He gave some to be prophets. He gave some to be evangelists. And he gave some to be shepherds and teachers or pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is, and this is what I highlight and underline, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. What's the role of a pastor teacher? To entertain, to make clever statements, to become a rock star in our culture? He goes, no, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. Their responsibility is to build up the church, the ecclesia, the body of the redeemed. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith, until we all come to such knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to who we are supposed to be in Christ. He goes on to say, we will no longer be immature like children. We're not going to act like kids. I'm not going to say I've been saved for five years or 10 years or 20 years and still be sucking milk and eating Gerbers, spiritually speaking. That's the emphasis. We're, we're not going to be immature like children. We will no longer be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching or doctrine. 
Man, we've got to know some of this junk that's being taught so that we can sift it through the word of God. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. Come on. You want to talk about the lies today? People are lying all the time. What's up with this? Why the contradictions in our society? Why the mandates when the same voices says, my body, my choice? That's a lie from hell. Either stand in one place or the other. We're not going to be influenced when people try to trick us and lie to us. Instead, we're going to speak the truth in love. We're going to grow up in every way more and more to be like Jesus, who is the head of the body, who is the head of the church. And we've got to be rooted, we've got to be established, we've got to be founded. And God, what do you say? And then we've got to ask God, God, please illuminate the eyes of my heart so that I can see through the lens of Jesus as I do life every day through the word of God. So we desire to see the body of believers equipped and built up. Believers, those who are persuaded to take action. So how do you go about doing that? Let me give you some of our DNA, what kind of defines who we are. We do that by surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. Jesus, you call the shots. Even when my buddy Kevin was talking about uh, baptizing his uh, cousin Rich today, it's all about surrender. We were talking about this yesterday. It's not, have you accepted Christ? When did you surrender to Christ? Different terminology. We believe that surrender to the Lordship of Christ is the norm for every person who calls themselves a follower of Christ. How else do you do it? We believe that practicing solitude for every person is crucial. What do you mean by practicing solitude? The scripture says uh, often when you read it that Jesus would slip away to a lonely place or a quiet place or a solitude place or into the wilderness. And we believe that getting up early and spending time with the Lord and setting apart that time in prayer, in the word, uh, in worship, in fasting. You, you're going to get some on a Sunday morning, but it's that daily discipline of practicing solitude of where you're going to grow. And then we believe that God has called us all to be good stewards. Stewards, which means a manager of that which belongs to another. And, and we believe that God has called us to steward time and resources. Yes, God wants us to move from, from just uh, giving a little bit of our time or a little bit of our money. He wants us to move from just being random to regular to being radical. I mean, that's the movement that God wants to bring about in our lives. So here's the vision. That's the mission of what we're about. But here's the vision. Our vision is to see every person fully alive in Christ. We want to see you fully alive. Because Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it a abundantly. There's no reason for a follower of Christ to be living on fumes. I've come that you can have full life. I want to give you the abundance of who I am. And so we really believe that every person can become a devoted student, Talmud, disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm walking in his dust. I'm hanging out with Jesus. He's calling the shots. Why? Because my purpose my purpose for existence is to know God, enjoy God, glorify God, and, and to re represent Jesus to the world. 
I'm here to represent Jesus to my world. I'm, I'm enjoying God. I'm walking with God. But as I do life, I'm encountering other people. And because of my devotion to Christ, there's something inside of me that says, I want others to desire the Christ that has overtaken my life. Is that what you want? I mean, that should be what we want. We've got so many lost and, and wounded and hurting people around us. And, and Jesus said, let your light shine in such a way that others can see like the goodness of God in you and they, they will want what you want. I'm like, yes. So we've got to be able to see the lost people around us. We've got to be able to see the hurting people around us. We've got to be able to see those that are confused and contaminated around us. I was pondering like just Matthew chapter 9, John 5, Luke 19, but listen to these scripture right here regarding Jesus. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were confused and they were helpless and they were like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw and we've got to have that lens of Christ so that when we're walking in the world, we can see beyond the obvious. It's like, what do you see? I, I, I see a person who's confused, and I see a person who is helpless, and I see a person who, who is misguided, and they're sheep without a shepherd. We're all sheep. We're referred to as sheep. And it says Jesus had compassion. When you look at John, he says when Jesus saw the paralytic, he asked him, Hey, do you want to get well? When he saw him, hey, hey you want to get well? Uh, he says, Jesus came closer to Jerusalem. And when he saw the city of Jerusalem, he began to weep over Jerusalem and cry. He saw it. And we've got to have eyes to see. We've got to have vision. When you walk into a store and you're on this mission just to get your items, do you see other people? Do you notice other people? Do, do, do you see beyond the obvious of the apparel? When you walked in here today, what are you seeing in others? Are you seeing the way they dress, what they drive? Or, what, what do you see? Do you see helpless people, hurting people, people that need clarity, people that need vision, people that need salvation? What do you see? Because eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. And we've got to pray for spiritual illumination. We've got to have vision to be able to see. And you know what faith does? Faith sees an opportunity, but fear sees an obstacle. Faith sees an opportunity to love on someone where fear gets all locked up. So our resolve for each and every one of us, it should be to see through the lens of Jesus, then act, because faith and belief is an action word. We should, we should see, then act. So how do you do it? Well, it starts with saying, I will care. I will extend compassion to those around me. I'm going to care for other people. Jesus moved with compassion. One of the signs of the saved is how well do they care about other people, people that can't do anything for them, people that can't pad their wallet. How, how well do they care? It's one of the signs of the redeemed. 
And then the second thing we've got to do is dare to make a difference, which is going to require us to step out of our comfort zone. Hey, I dare you to make a difference. We played those games growing up. I dare you to and fill in the blank. But I dare you to be a difference maker. I dare you to get out of your comfort zone. I dare you to step out of self-protection. So we're going to care and we're going to dare, but then you got to share. And we got to share the good news of the gospel, the message of hope. It's like it's teed up. Man, I, I love your care and I love the fact that you're willing to step out of your comfort zone. Now, now share the story of Christ's redemption of your own narrative. Share how Jesus has rocked you. And just look at your friend and go, hey man, can I, can I tell you where I found hope? Can I tell you where I found peace? And Rich, over the years, brother, being able to look at Kevin and being able to look at Amy, leaning into them going, man, how did they do it? And they shared the hope of the gospel with you. They loved on you when you were wayward and stuck, man. They just, it's like, that's why you want him to baptize you because he models something that you were missing that, oh, I gotta have that. Do you see the people around you? Do you see the real need inside the heart? And, and, and my prayer is this. My prayer is, Lord, Lord, please keep me from limiting you just based on what I see. Lord, I don't want to limit you and what you want to do and, and how you can set a person free just based on my jacked up lens. Give me your lens so that I can see other people the way you do. So that I can see myself the way you do. That I am the beloved of the Lord. The truest thing about Tim Cash is that he is loved by God. And that's the truest thing about you. I mean, I would pray that, Lord, give me spiritual eyes. Give me spiritual vision so that I can care and dare and share. Matthew 14, starting in verse 13, it says, Jesus Traveled in a boat to a remote area to be alone. I love, I love this text right here. But the crowds followed him on foot from many towns. Jesus, I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm doing the solitude thing. I'm, I'm going I'm to get away. But the people are like, man, we got to get with you. We, we need you. We need what you got. We, we want to experience you. Jesus saw the crowd. Jesus had compassion on the people. Jesus healed the sick. He's hanging out. He's ministering. He's loving. He's extending heaven's hope. They've been doing it for a few hours. The disciples that evening came to Jesus and said, dude, it's getting late. Send the crowds away. Tell them to go get their own food. This has been, this has been too long. And Jesus said, that's not necessary. You feed them. Send them away. Get rid of them. We need a breather. He goes, that's not necessary. But the disciples are like, feed them. We've only got five loaves and two fish. Look. And Jesus said, bring me the bread and bring me the fish. Bring it here. He told the people to sit on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish and the scripture said he looked toward heaven and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, now you go distribute it. What's the storyline? 
What's the timeless truth? Jesus saw the people. Every one of them had a name. Every one of them had a story. Every one of them had hunger pains way beyond just the physical hunger in their heart. And Jesus had compassion on people. Jesus is like, you guys are going to walk in the dust of Rabbi Jesus. Y'all are going to hang with me. Y'all want to become like me? The disciples were like, man, send them away. These people have been in our house too long. Blow out the candles, turn out the lights, get rid of them. They're hurting. They're, they're hurting. Man, we don't have enough. It's too late. And Jesus basically said, I'll tell you what you do. Why don't you bring me what you got and watch how I love and care about people. Now, now this is the practical for you. Stop. See. Notice. Extend compassion. Care. Dare. Share. What do you have that God may want to use? What do you have? When I first came to faith in Christ as a 22-year-old dude about to be 23, and I started walking with the Lord, I'm like, what do you have, Tim, that I might want to use? We got baseball has been what I've worshipped, and baseball has been my identity. Oh, you got baseball. Give it to me. Give it to you? Yes. I want you to share me in that locker room. I want, I want you to share me on that field with those other guys. Why don't you go out and do clinics and camps and teach kids how to play baseball, then share about how I've changed you. That's how it started for me. It didn't start by going to seminary or Bible college or it didn't start that way. It was like, what, what, what do you got? I, I, I got this baseball. Let me use it. And he did. What, what do you got? I got, a, I got a boat. You got any lost friends that don't know Jesus? Yes. Invite them to go out on the lake with you. I promise you, once they get on the boat, and if you go far enough out into the waters, they're not going to go anywhere. You've got an audience. What do you have? Well, I got this plumbing career then give it to God and see how he uses it for his glory. What, what, what do you got? I'm a chiropractor. Then why don't you let your hands become my hands and even pray with the people that come in there at times and notice something going on deeper than even the physical affliction. Yes, Lord, I will give that to you. You, you can do that today. You can take that whatever God's giving you and you can say, here it is. Here it is. I love my buddy Andrew and his wife Sam. I, I love you guys. And, and Caleb is in there having nose surgery. And Andrew doesn't attend church and he's not really connected in his faith journey. And we started talking. What, what do you got? I got my son who's having surgery. Well, who's taking care of him? This dude Andrew who's a nurse. But we've got this Your Story Matters bracelet on. 
He goes, yeah, there's another guy that works here as a nurse named Bass, and he wears one of those things. We started sharing with him. Bass goes, why don't you come to church with me? What do you got? I got a, a, a son. What do you have? I got a patient. Okay. Then share the hope that you have within you. Pray over your dude before he goes back into surgery. And man, this, this brother's been rocked. Sam, y'all have been rocked by the gospel of what God has done. What do, you, what, do you, what do you got that God may want to use? Here, here's where it starts, Amy. Here's where it starts. Quit making excuses and just go feed the people. People are starving around us. People are malnourished around us. What do you got? Making disciples is a mandate, it's not a suggestion. Go make disciples. If you laid yourself out first thing in the morning and said, I desire to be the hands and feet of Jesus today, Lord, use me however you want to use me. Give me eyes to see like you see. Watch how that day unfolds. And here's what I believe personally. Even when I came here, over 10 years ago as pastor with all the chaos and corruption and confusion. Here's what I believed. Hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to speak truth in love. I want you to speak truth over a long period of time. Don't back down from it. And I want you to be transparent as you speak the truth over this period of time. And then the people will trust you. I believe that truth being lived out over a long period of time with transparency, all of a sudden, people go, I, tr I, I trust them. I want to know what you got. I'm not talking about speaking truth on Sunday morning. I'm not talking about walking in your family once a week and speaking a word of truth but getting hammered the other six days. I'm not talking about quoting John 3, 6 one day and then cursing like a sailor the rest of the week. I'm talking about truth over time, with transparency, will lead to trust. First Timothy 1.5 was like the target for me. And it says, the goal of our instruction is to love. The goal is to love with a pure heart, with a good conscience, and with sincere faith. I just want you to love. I, I, I want you to care about other people. Tim, I want you to build a culture and a community that is kingdom-focused. I want to receive all the glory. I'm a jealous God. Tim, I don't want spectators. I want participators. I want people loving and giving and serving. Come on. I'm going to use you, but you're going you're to have to model it. You and Barbara are going to have to model it. This is going to become the norm. This is the way ministry is going to be done. I'm like, okay. Why? Because you love God, Tim, and you love other people. You want to know how we do it? I got five simple things here, but I want you to hear this. How, how are you going to do it? We're going to keep it simple. We're going to keep it simple. 2 Corinthians 11.3, I memorized that verse about four or five months into my faith journey, but I'm afraid. This is what it says. I'm afraid that just as the serpent tempted Eve, with all of the serpent's craftiness, I'm afraid that your minds would be led astray from simplicity 
and purity of devotion to Jesus. Hey, Tim, keep it, keep it about devotion to Christ. Focus on people becoming fully alive. Don't get caught up into these tangents. Don't get caught up into these denominational wars. Don't get caught up into the, the extreme arguments that you've heard from the time you got saved. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't be led astray. And you know, as well as I do in our culture, I mean, the two big things that still divide the body of Christ is the argument of predestination and election and evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Those two arguments just divide people. He goes, how does that glorify me? Where am I at in the center of that? So what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? We're going to keep it simple. Then what are you going to do? We're going to sanctify Christ as Lord. Christ now calls the shots, right? And 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify Jesus as Lord of your life. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have inside of you and do it with incredible reverence toward God and gentleness toward other people. All right, I, I want to be ready when people ask me, what is the hope that you have? Why do you stand where you do? Why do you land where you do? That, 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 that's, that's what we do. As I said earlier, surrendering to Jesus is the norm. Paul would write that in Romans 12. I urge you, in view of God's mercies, do not conform to this world. Be transformed. Surrender everything to the Lord. How are you going to do it? We're going to share life with other people. We're not, we're not going to abandon fellowship and community. As you see the day of the Lord approaching, and rally together. That's what we're going to do. What else are you going to do? We're all messy, jacked up, even though God has redeemed many of us and we're walking with Jesus. What are you going to do? We're going to struggle well. We're going to go through adversity and pain and conflict and turmoil, but we're going to struggle well. What, what, what did Paul say in Philippians 3? Not that I've already obtained it. Not, not that I'm there yet. But one thing I do, I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm not going to be empowered by all the junk of my past. And I'm pressing into the Lord. That's how we're going to do it. That's how we've been doing it for 10 years. And can I tell you something? That, I believe, is how God wants each and every one of us to do it. Hey, keep it simple. Sanctify Christ. Man, surrender everything you have. Share your life with others, others. Get involved in community. And man, just struggle well. It's going to be a struggle and a fight at times. Check out this testimony of life change. This person said, God has been working through the cross to show me love, guidance, and support through a crucial transitional period in my life. The last few months have shown me the importance of having Christ in my life and surrendering to his will so I can be the man he wants me to be. This impact has literally saved my life. And for this, I am forever grateful. I want to be a part of thousands of these kind of stories. I want to be a part of people saying, do you realize that the gospel and the power, the power of the Holy Spirit now released in my life you realize it radically changed who i am and i'm like yes i do and, and step one is we're going to reach people we want to see people converted and when that happens life begins they experience salvation and they start to embrace truth it's like who am i reaching who am i sharing christ with 
Who am I inviting here on a Sunday? Who, where, where's my neighbor and my friends and those are, are disoriented? Who, who am I inviting? Here's another powerful story from one of our ladies. She said, after church hopping for several years, we finally landed where God intended us to be. When we arrived, I wasn't even sure how to pray or what to say to God. I just knew that there was an empty space in my heart that nothing seemed to fill. Week after week, I was amazed at the women that offered to pray with me. Some of them didn't even know me, but they were so willing to pray that God would heal my heart, and he did. I feel so surrounded by the love of God at the cross. I'm like, yes, your story matters. You might have been using and abusing last night. You might be so far off the rails and jacked up. And you may think you've gone too far. I can promise you there's hope. This is a restoration culture. I read that story and I'm like, what a beautiful story. I didn't even know what to say. I didn't even know what to do. But our ladies were practicing engaging with a hurting soul. And they were practicing caring and daring and sharing the love of Christ. I want to be a part of a thousand more of those stories. One high school student shared, before I started my relationship with God, I was a typical troubled teenager. Going to parties, man, I'd have to listen to my parents destroy their marriage at home. A week after my mom left our family, my friend invited me to the cross. It was like I'd found something so special and indescribable. I met Jesus, and in these last months, I've grown so much. I want to be a part of that. And, and, and I want to be a part of it by serving in those spaces. Do you realize that when you're serving over here with these kids, some of them are coming from battered homes? Parents are so jacked up and wayward. Some of those kids that come to our Wednesday night, like our youth, I mean, some of those kids are coming from battered homes. Parents are jacked up. They don't even know what normal looks like. Their normal is so twisted. And then we got a chance to say, how are you doing? How's your day? How's your week? Who's going to stand in the gap? Because we're going to reach and then we're going to teach. And when we get into that teaching part, it's like, man, this person's starting to become committed. That's so good. I mean, their life is starting to have definition for the first time. They're starting to move from just salvation to sanctification. Man, they're starting to trust God. They went from just reading truth to starting to trust God and starting to trust other people. I'm like, yes. Here's another powerful story. I've attended many churches, but I've never been in an environment where the word was taught with such clarity and purpose while the leadership was honest, pose, uh, posing with no mask or hidden agendas. The area of my life that has, been, that has been impacted the most is in knowing that it's okay for me to be myself. I have learned not to focus on guilt and shame, but to see how I can authentically contribute to God's plan in spite of my fel failures. I have discovered that sharing Christ is not an agenda, but it just starts with being genuinely interested in knowing and serving others, whether they look like and act like me or not. I'm like, this is so cool. I'm like, that's right, your story matters. You can be set free. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to pose. You don't have to live in guilt and shame. 
And if some of you even here today, you're like, I've been living with guilt and shame. And I promise you, when we move into the prayer time, people want to intercede. Drop the mask. Get out of self-protection. That's where, that's where so many people live. They live chained up. How, how, how do you do it? You've got to reach that place where you're just disgusted and sick of being sick. And you go, I do want to get made well. That's what Jesus says to that dude. Hey, you want to, you, you want to get well? Yes, I'm sick of being sick. I can't stay sick any longer. So then we start to move toward that step three of training people and seeing people get connected and grow and their life is developing and they're becoming a student of Jesus. I'll read one more story. My husband and I, we decided to jump all in with what God was calling us to do. Thanks to numerous partners in the body, any hesitations or feelings of not being good enough or less than vanished due to their encouragement. The cross is a place of refuge, strength, guidance, and so much more. Outside of receiving Christ as Savior, joining this Christ-centered family will always be one of the most influ influential decisions we've made in our lives. I'm like, yes, yes. Is that what y'all about? Is really seeing people's lives restored? Yes. Y'all are really about seeing people that are lost get converted? Yes. You're, you're really about seeing people then commit? Yeah, we are. You're really about seeing people get connected through giving and serving? And yeah, yeah, we are. You're, you're, you're really serious about people like making a major contribution, whether it's time, money, uh, whatever? Yeah, we, that's the way we're going to do it. Why? Because we believe it's the model Jesus set up. Jesus didn't make suggestions. He gave commands to these guys. Man, I love you. I'm with you until the end of the age. I'm not going to leave you. Hey, it's game time. Let's go. There's a lot of things that I want you involved in. How does it happen? I've got to have vision. I've got to get the lens of Christ. And it's going to move me to have compassion. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to bring what I've got to Jesus. Because it's amazing what he's able to do with what I think to be so little. <laughs> and what you got? i got a few fish and a few loaves of bread. 5,000 plus people here. Just bring it to me and watch me work. you got to overcome mind monsters. you got to get out of your comfort zone. Hey, man, we want you to go share your testimony. First time I ever did it. Hey, man, you got 20 minutes. I spoke for five minutes. I tapped out. I'll never do that again. I was scared. I had so much fear. Whew. That is not for me. I am dumb. I can't read. Bro, you made that 550 on the SAT, man. There is a lot of people out there smarter than you. My buddy goes, hey, why don't you be a donkey that gives divinity a ride and watch what he does? Me? Yeah. Bring me what you got. How are you going to leverage for the kingdom this week what you got? You're going to lay it before the Lord and say, use it? I don't, know, I don't even know what you want to do. Because every person in this room and every person online, you've got something that you can bring to Jesus. Quit making excuses. Go feed the people. Let's pray.